Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast with Nicolene Peck. Improving your life, uniting your family, changing the world. Welcome to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. I'm Nicolene Peck and I'm joined here with my daughter, Paige Baumert. Hi, Paige. Hello. Paige, today we are going to do something that we've been meaning to do for a long time, but we've been waiting for this podcast. So this (laughs) is podcast 101. So we are doing Teaching Self-Government 101. Yes. Right. So it's going to be your one-on-one class that covers the nuts and bolts of teaching self-government. And we are going to give you all kinds of stuff you can chew on and start to learn about and see maybe what you're missing, what you need to put more effort into, or if there's something that you need to be adding to what you're doing, then this is going to be the place to find it. But before we do that, we want to talk about a fun family activity because we always do that on the teaching self-government podcast. So Paige, we have kind of a fun idea this week especially, and it kind of ties to 101. So what is the fun family activity? So something that we talk about a lot in teaching self-government is having a family vision. And so we thought, what, wouldn't it be so fun if we did the family vision, like role-played our family vision right now? Cause like for our family vision, it happens at Christmas time. Right. And so wouldn't it be so fun to just role play through your whole family vision, you know, in real life. But like right now it's like the middle of March. Yeah. So if your family vision is Thanksgiving, just have a Thanksgiving dinner. If your family vision is a barbecue, have a barbecue, even if it's cold, like just like do it in the garage or something, but like, but you could still <laughs> have that thing. Or if it's normally a camp out, but it's cold where you're at right now, you could be like, Oh, well, we're just going to have a camp out, you know, in the family room or something. And you can, <laughs> you can just do all the pieces of it, but totally at the wrong time. So you're having like a practice, but it's not the right it's not the normal time of it. I just feel like that's so fun. It, it makes the family vision even more special. If, if you mm-hmm. are willing to practice it at a time when it is not the time. And so basically you're playing make-believe with the family. Mm-hmm. And how fun is that? Because your children, they learn to play make-believe with you. And yeah. this will help them invest in it and look forward to the real time when it comes. Oh, for sure. It increases that anticipation like nothing else. Yeah. Oh, playing with stuff like that is just so much fun. Okay. So (laughs) what we are doing today is we're talking about self-government and obviously we're going to look up self-government through the lens of self-government. So we've got to know what self-government is and get a little bit of a background there. And then let's get into some of the nuts and bolts. So Paige, what is self-government? Self-government is being able to determine the cause and effect of any given situation and possessing a knowledge of your own behaviors so that you can control them. All right. So let's dissect that just a little bit. So what that means is that you understand if you look in someone's eyes, then you're going to feel closer to them and feel more bonded to them. It also means that you understand if you yell at a person, they immediately don't trust you. It means that your children understand that when they say, okay, and they choose to be okay, that the, the trust from their parents increase. It also means that they understand that when they choose to 
talk with someone in a respectful way and listen to what someone has to say that suddenly they actually have a better bond with that person. Cause this is all cause and effect in our behavior and in our relationships with each other. And when a person learns self-government, they learn that cause and effect, and then they take it a step further and they analyze their own behaviors regularly so that they can say, wait a minute, that behavior is not giving me the effect that I want. Is that the behavior that I want to be using? And so then they can adjust their behavior or make plans for better behavior so that they can get the outcomes that they're hoping for. So that's what a person does when they are self-governing. And truly, when you are a self-governing person, you actually are focusing so much on your relationship. So relationship actually is a foundation for all of the teaching and correcting that we do in our family and with our children. In fact, there's a diagram that is in the roles book, and it's a diagram of a wagon wheel. And it talks, it shows how teaching happens to children. So it shows that the core of that wagon wheel is your morals and your values, your belief systems, the things that you hold really dear that you want the child to get more than anything. And then the spokes that come out of that wagon wheel are things we teach because we want those morals and principles. So that would be all kinds of things from reading and tying shoes and good personal hygiene to good social skills and learning how to work hard. All those kinds of things are things we teach our children. But then the rim that goes around the outside of that wagon wheel represents the relationship in that relationships holds all of the teaching into those core values. And if you sacrifice the relationship for that teaching, guess what happens to all of it, including the, the core values. You put a little weight on that wagon wheel and it all crumbles if, if you have a piece of the relationship band that's missing. So really when we're talking about teaching someone self-government and to self-assess, we're talking about doing it through relationship. And this was something that we did all through the growing up, but you're, you're growing up Paige. I mean, how would you say relationship was a part of our family culture? Oh, that was everything (laughs) of our family culture. So the relationships that we built with each other, you know, as siblings and between uh, child and parent was very influential and very important to how we ran our family. Um, you know, we had lots of, we had plenty of rules and we had our standards that we followed, but all of that wouldn't have made us self-governed people without that relationship, because without that relationship band around that ring, um, or that wheel, then, um, someone like me, who's very stubborn and strong-willed could have seen you and dad as very strict and overbearing. And I would have probably fallen out of that hub, you know, and not been tied together to all the teaching. Mm -hmm. And so I probably would have been very rebellious and kind of gone my own way um, and disregarded everything that, you know, I learned growing up. Yeah. Because, you know, there was that, there wasn't that relationship pulling it together, but because there was, um, I was able to analyze everything that was happening through a, a warm, loving connection and be able to see, Oh, this is actually really good. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I might not like it right now, but compared to my friends, this is a lot better. Yeah. And you did do a lot of that comparison where you would say, wow, they're fighting a lot or they sure are unhappy and Mm -hmm. I'm not. And I have such a good bond with my parents and my siblings and in my family. And so I remember you voicing that to me a lot that you felt so lucky. Yeah. 
So when a person learns self-government, they are focusing on bonding to the people around them. It's not just about them. And I think this is a key thing. So when I talk about the different types of parenting, I talk about how some sorts of parenting. So there's a book I have all about the different types of parenting. It's called Popular Parenting Methods. And it talks about the different sorts of parenting and how people oftentimes are living a sort of parenting that they don't want to. They want to be a more principled parent, but they end up their behavior and their tactics end up following a different path. And what happens is some of these other paths that are not the principled, traditional, strict parent, they end up leading toward self. Everything is about the self. The parents focused on themselves, even though they're sacrificing so much for their family, they get overwhelmed with the feelings. They start um, manipulating more the children. The children are focused on self-preservation or, you know, self-discovery or whatever that kind of thing. And so then they end up removing themselves from their parents at a time when it's not very healthy. And But the traditional strict parenting model actually is all about family unity. It's about knowing who you are within the group of family and that it's not just about you. Everything isn't just about you. You are going to learn to control you and analyze you because you are part of a group and that group actually matters a lot. Now, I learned the power of the group when I was doing treatment foster care. Now, of course, I was raised by wonderful parents. I had a great family, I will say, but there were some things in the family group that were just a little bit dysfunctional because my parents didn't know how to get every thing going just great with the relationships. I think most of those things ironed out over time and compared to many families, we did a fantastic job in our family. And and I have to give my parents a lot of credit because you don't know what you don't know, you know? And um, in recent years, they've learned a lot from me and said, oh my goodness, I wish we would have known that. I wish we would have even thought of that, you know? And I learned a lot of things doing treatment, foster care for troubled teens. And that's how, how everything started. I mean, I started early processing everything through this lens of relationship and this principled lens. And I had some incredible stories. I don't have time to go into all those. I'm sure we've hit on them in probably some other podcasts or on my YouTube channel somewhere or something. But when I did treatment foster care, it was like all the pieces came together. So here I was getting trained to take in these treatment children and I was getting, uh, this, you know, incredible training by the youth village. And they were saying these skills that I went, wait a second, I invented that skill, but I didn't call it that. Like I didn't give it a name. I just know (laughs) that that's what you do, you know? And so it, it just resonated with me so strongly. I realized, I have been on this journey and this is a culminating moment for me. And as we brought these foster children into our home to help them have a behavior change so that they could step down in their level of care and their level of treatment, I noticed something. I noticed that they had not seen a fully functional family. And that was probably one of the biggest things that they could get out of my life. So even though I was going to teach them skills, even though I was going to be helping them, you know, conquer all of these bad behavior that were getting in their way, they needed a vision of something greater, something bigger. And it started with that picture of a family. And then here we were just, you know, giving people this vision of, of a family. We stopped doing foster care because our family started to grow and we knew it was time to just transition to just our family after doing years and years of foster care. And here comes the BBC knocking on our door and asking us if we would be on a program called the world's strictest parents. And you know what? 
they actually wanted to show people a vision of what a functional family looks like. That's what they wanted to show. They asked us to do it and they brought two troubled teens to stay in our home for eight days. And Paige, I know you remember that. And oh yeah. Because, you know, who, who cannot, <laughs> who could forget having a camera crew living in your house and all the things going on that happened. But um, those two troubled teens, both ages 17, that stayed in our home for eight days, got a vision of family. And it was something that they hadn't seen before. They, they loved their families. They had families, but they hadn't seen a really functional family like they saw when they came to our house. Yeah. And they thought it was kind of like, what, what is this even real? Like you guys are weird because it mm-hmm. just, what it isn't the normal, you know, for most people, it's not what you for see family. on TV. No. And like, if you did see it on TV, people be like, oh, the Brady bunch. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> you know, but I mean, I would, we don't have a, a housekeeper, but you know, <laughs> sometimes I like wish the- we did, but you know, but, what? <laughs> <laughs> nice. Anyway. Right. Yeah. So people got this vision and vision is important. It actually is one of the key pieces that holds everything together. And I know we were talking a little bit about vision in our fun family activity, but Paige vision is vital for us. I mean, let's talk a little bit about vision. How does vision factor into a person learning to master themselves? I know it seems abstract. It seems like (laughs) "Ah, I can forget that piece. Just give me the skills. I know people think that, but the people who actually put their family vision into implementation in their family have greater gains. And why is that page? So it's interesting that you bring that up because a lot of people I'll ask them, Hey, have you done your family vision? Like, Oh no, you know, we're kind of saving that for later. I'm like, no, 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 go back and do it now. Because when you, that family vision, I tell people all the time, that is the foundation of Mm self-government. That is your why, why you're doing everything. Your skills are the how, and the how isn't really going to matter much unless you have a why. Mm-hmm. And so that family vision gives you a reason to be doing and learning those skills. Mm-hmm. It gives you something to look forward to and to picture mentally, you know, something that you really want, something that you know, like that you want to achieve. And, you, you know, maybe you don't feel like you can do it at the moment, but, you know, something that you really want. And I think a lot of people, you know, whether they say it out loud or not, they say, you know, I, I just wish that my kids would, you know, get along with each other and enjoy being with each other. Or I wish that me and my husband would be on the same page about things. Or, you know, I wish I wouldn't have to yell at my kids all day and that they would just do what I say and that we could be a happy family. I think, you know, a lot of people don't realize that that's a possibility, but when you envision it, then you can start making goals and plans for how to achieve it. And not everybody has an easy time creating a vision of the future. There's a lot of people that are not very futuristic and it seems like a, a hard concept to think. Or they have shifting variables. I know that I was talking to someone recently and they said, well, you know, we've, we've got some people that are out of the picture that I hope are back in the picture, you know, later down the road. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh yeah, that could be really interesting. Well, you know, just envision what you want. You know, maybe that person will come back into your life. Or maybe a new person will be there. They were having some marital issues there um, and they were separated. They were not ready to give up on that person. And Mm -hmm. so I said, you know, just factor that person in Mm -hmm. or, you know, something of the like. So, you know, it can be hard for people to picture that ideal moment or that ideal family time. But 
um, it's, it's possible for everyone and it gives you the reason why. It does give you the reason why. And that is a big deal. You've got to have a reason why. And I have to say that there are some people who probably can dream big when it comes to business. Okay. Dream big when it comes to money. Yeah. Or possessions that they want to have. Cause it's just acquiring something. It's just like a checkoff list. Like, Oh, I got yeah. it. Right. But when it comes to our relationships and when it comes to our family, some people are afraid to dream big because mm-hmm. they can control getting a possession. They can control some things related to growing a business, but you can't control how another person is going to relate to you. And so then it seems like, but what if I don't get it? And some people are afraid they won't get their big dream when it comes to family. But the point of the vision isn't that you get it tomorrow. It's not that every single second is somehow perfect. Suddenly the point of that family vision is that, you know, where you're headed. And even if you don't hit it on the exact year you wanted to hit it on, you still know the direction that you are headed. And so it gives you the reason why you're going to keep working at things again and again and again. So I really think that why is super powerful, powerful. Another thing that we do that's associated with the why, which is another kind of a how thing, it is a statement that we say every day. So we do have mission statements. We believe in our family that every person has a purpose and that every family has a purpose. So just like a person could have a personal mission statement or a business could have a business mission statement, we believe that a family is powerful and has more purpose when they have a mission statement. So we take that picture, that vision of the why. And then we make a statement about it as to how we're going to get there. And then like Paige said, all of those skills and other things that we do that we implement are actually the things that lead toward the, the why. And so they're part of this house. So the statement suggests Mm -hmm. these skills that are going to be happening. And so making that and saying it every day, we said it every day in our family, every single morning, we set our family mission statement. We would say, I think I even wrote music for it when I was like 12. You did. You totally did. <laughs> it wasn't it was a work of art, like, but it was, it was fun. Family. Yeah. I remember that. Yeah. It was not, you know, we didn't like produce it or anything, but no. you did because you, you were like, I think that would be fun to make a song about our mission statement. So Anyway, for sure. So there are two different factors that go into all of the other elements that we're going to be talking about for self-government in this TSG 101 class. And (laughs) they fall into two categories. So they are either tone elements or they are structure elements. And when we talk about tone, we're talking about a certain feeling that has to exist so that a person can actually decide it's safe. It's preferable. It's actually empowering to want to control Mm -hmm. themselves. Okay. And then the difference between a building, like building a building and the ambiance inside the building. Mm, True. True. Because the structure that's going to be all of the skills and the methods that's what holds it all together. Yeah. For doing all of the problem solving and, and keeping everybody pointed in the right direction, but it's that tone that makes you want to do it. Mm -hmm. that, That says, there's truth here. There's honesty here. It's not manipulation. And we could list so many words related to tone. (laughs) And I'm just going to list a few of those right now. And Paige, if you want to throw some out too, but one of those um, tone elements is acceptance. 
So people are going to make mistakes and we have to accept that that is part of growing up. We can't take it personally. You know, that's huge to have a tone of acceptance. This doesn't mean that we don't correct problems. We do, but we don't take them personally because they happened. Right. Because that goes against trusting in learning. And I think that that's another tone element is the learning process and trusting in the learning Mm -hmm. process which is huge and trust versus force. If you're going to force, you're going toward manipulation, but trusting that a person can choose and wants to choose the very best things for their personal outcomes. If they have enough information, which means you've got to give them enough information. You've got to talk to them about the why of things and not just force them to comply all the time and be heavy handed, you know, and then consistency. Oh, Paige, people struggle with consistency. That's a really hard one for people. And, you know, I can, I'm starting to see why, you know, as I'm getting children of my own and as they're getting older. Um, but it's, it's so important because it actually minimizes anxiety in parents and children, because not only do parents know exactly what they're going to say and exactly what to do, but so do the children, the children mm-hmm. know, okay, mom's going to say this or, oh, yep. I didn't follow instructions. So I'm pretty sure I know what's coming you know, instead of thinking, oh no, what is mom going to do now? Or, oh no, is dad going to yell at me? You know, it, it really decreases that anxiety and makes things much more predictable. Yeah, it really does. And it's one of the hardest things to do because we get tired, you know, parenting's hard work. We get a little tired. So consistency is enormous love, mercy, justice, Oh my, there's so many words, unity. These are all the feeling and the tone that should exist in your home, even in the moment when you're correcting someone. So I tell people, you know, you should feel closer to your child during and after a correction than you even did before. Now, keeping in mind that you are going to consistently correct everything that needs correcting. You're not going to let stuff go by because if you do, then you create a very, manipulative environment. They start playing a system and that hurts them and it hurts you and it hurts the whole system. So you have to be totally consistent, but then you also have to be bonded to them at the Mm -hmm. same time. This is something that a lot of people have a hard time putting together. How do I be consistent and not be mean? Because they assume that, you know, being mean or being strict because strict is actually a tone element too, which just means being principled, following your principles, (laughs) living by a certain set of principles anyway. And governing yourself as the parent. That's what it means. It doesn't mean being ornery, but they assume that if they're going to be strict or be consistent, then that means they have to be a bad guy. Someone's got to play the bad mm-hmm. cop, you know, is what they Someone's got to put the foot down. Exactly. That's what they say. They say things like that, but actually those are social misconceptions. They are not true. And you can have both. You can have that lovely tone and a lot of that tone, those tone elements come from understanding calmness. Mm-hmm. And I do want to just say, as we're talking about calmness right now, because this is not the podcast where we go into every detail about calmness. I think we should no. touch a little bit on it because of its importance, but so you I have a whole want... calm parenting toolkit about that. I was going to say, but I have a course, right? And it's called the <laughs> Calm Parenting Toolkit and you can have it for free. You just go to teachingselfgovernment.com. What is my website? I don't even know. I'm saying the wrong thing. <laughs> Anyway, go to teachingselfgovernment.com and right there on the homepage right now, there is a link to the Calm Parenting Toolkit for free. It's a great starter kit. It will get you going on calmness, which is one of the hardest things to master. And why is it, Paige? Why is calmness one of the hardest things to master? Because you actually have to be in charge of your emotions and you can't emotionally react 
to something. It's saying, you know what, that just happened. Or you know what, my child is not going to sleep and she should have been asleep an hour ago from personal experience. (laughs) And that's okay. You know, it's not the ideal, but she's not going to, you know, stop crying if I suddenly get angry at her. Yeah. What, what, what point would there be? Yeah. I know. So it's, it's really understanding when I'm actually calm, it actually helps keep the rest of the situation calm. There is a boomerang effect to calmness. So when you're not stoking the fire, Mm -hmm. when a person is calm, it brings more calmness. It settles people down, which is huge, but you have to decide to plan what emotion do I want to have right now? Is this Mm -hmm. a time where I might think thoughts that I'm not okay? How can I tell myself that I can be okay? What type of plan can I have for myself? And if I feel myself going out of control, what is my calmness plan for bringing myself back to calmness? You've got to be ready. You know, and I think that's the thing is people do not prepare ahead of time to be ready. They just assume that whatever happens in the minute is what was supposed to happen. And that's just a little bit wild. It's like assuming that because my garden grew weeds, it's only, it's only supposed to grow weed. You can't have it grow anything else, which doesn't make any sense, right? If I plan for something else to grow there, something else will grow there. And, you know, it's the time of year where I'm thinking about planning for what I'm going to be growing out there. So <laughs> top of my mind right there, but call calmness is so powerful. And when a parent or, or child has calmness, it actually brings calmness out in the other person as well. But more than likely it's the parent that's going to have to initiate that kind of a tone. So let's talk about some of the structural elements because there are so many structural elements. And I know when people listen to self-government stuff, or when they read self-government stuff, they say, okay, give me the skills. Just give me all the skills. But we talk about the skills oftentimes toward the end of discussions. And there is a Mm -hmm. reason. And it is because without the right tone, the skills can be used manipulatively. They can be if a person is choosing to still be a tyrant, still be a bully and not be principled in their parenting and not focus on getting themselves ready so that they're self-governed too. So the skills can be helpful, but they are just one step and do not forget the rest. So let's talk about these skills. There's skills for parents, there's skills for children. And really all of these skills are just adult skills and children need to know them all. Parents are going to be using them all on themselves as well as with the children, because if you are really self-governing yourself, you're going to be using these skills. So let's talk about these skills, Paige. Just launch us off on skills. For sure. So some of the main ones that we teach are what we call the four basic skills. And these we mainly teach to children um, to help them communicate effectively and have an effective running household. But the first one is following instructions. The second is uh, accepting no answers and criticism. The third is accepting consequences. And the fourth is disagreeing appropriately. So these are four essential skills for learning how to work well, you know, in all relationships, whether you're a child with your parent or whether you're an employee with your employer, um, anything like that. So um, I know they've come in handy for me so many times, especially disagreeing appropriately, because I am a strong-willed individual and can be very stubborn. So for me to get my voice heard without starting fights, 
then, you know, that those skills really, really came in handy for me. So those are just some of the basic ones. Again, we call them the four basic skills that we teach uh, parents and children. And that's why with the four children's books, so there's four children's books that each teach one of the four basic skills. The book Paige Takes the Stage is actually Paige (laughs) learning to disagree (laughs) appropriately because she definitely has that fiery spirit. She could have been born a redhead. She wasn't, but she could have been. I got red highlights. (laughs) That's right. There's a little bit in there because she truly... um, well, she likes to be heard and she had to learn the right way to do it. And that was probably her hardest skill to learn, but also the one that she's gotten the most mileage out of in her lifetime, which has been great. And they love that skill. That skill disconnects the emotional and connects the prefrontal cortex logical. logical. It's so great for, for the brain development of the child and growing that prefrontal cortex, making vital connections in the brain and helping a person stop themselves from going to the fight or flight mode in their brain, where they start to shut down because the emotions have taken over. So it's just so empowering to learn these skills and honestly, to learn following instructions. I know that seems like, Oh, great. I'm just going to be doing whatever somebody tells me to do. Listen, no, when your alarm goes off in the morning and you get up, you followed instructions. When you didn't get up, you didn't follow instructions. You gave yourself an instruction the night before, and you did not follow through when you tell yourself, I'm not going to have sugar today. And then you did have it. You are not following instructions. Well, or maybe you're not accepting no answers. Cause if you say <laughs> no answer on sugar, and then you have it, then maybe you're not accepting. Well, no yeah, answers, and then but- you have to accept those natural consequences that come. Yes. And all of these skills have skill sets attached to them. And so they, you can go into more detail as you learn these skill sets. So like for instance, following instructions, there's five steps. You look at the person, keep a calm face, voice, and body say, okay, or ask to disagree appropriately, do the task immediately, and then check back. And when I say, look at the person, I could also say, look at the person or the situation. The situation is the alarms going off. The situation is it's time to make dinner. The situation is, you know, um, whatever. There could be so many situations. So accepting no answers also has their, its own skill set, And yeah. this is going to come in handy so much. Oh, I'm on my device, but I really should be making dinner. Guess what I have to do? I have to give myself a no answer first about the device. And then I have to give myself an instruction to go start the dinner. Mm-hmm. So there's, do you see how, when you're a productive person and you're following through with whatever you set your mind to do in the day, when you're self-governing, you are giving yourself instructions and no answers all the time. And, and you know what, when things don't go right and you don't do what you should have done, then technically you have to accept consequences. So then we hit accepting consequences because you have to acknowledge cause and effect and you recognize, aha, I did this to myself. And when you can recognize you did it to yourself and you can accept consequences, then you can learn self-government. So your children Mm -hmm. actually have to learn how to be okay with consequences. They have to know consequences are not bad. They're just part of life. It's just teaching cause and effect. It's no big deal. It's just, oh, well, this is a reminder of now what happened because we didn't do whatever it was. And so we're going to fix it. No big deal. Do you know there's a lot of people who don't correct their children and then their children miss the privilege of being able to accept consequences. Yeah. And I I love that you brought up, you know, consequences in general and cause and effect, because nowadays consequences has a very negative connotation to it, meaning, oh, it's something negative. It's a punishment, right? Mm -hmm. But no consequences just means something that happens after something else happens, you know, Mm -hmm. it's cause and effect. So that's, that's a lot of what we do. In fact, that's all that we teach and share about in teaching self-government is cause and effect, you know, 
everything that we share, especially with those four basic skills, nothing we do is meant to punish anybody. Mm-hmm. It's all to teach cause and effect and effective communication, which I think is so important. hundred percent. And, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the emotions and our tone goes off and then we forget this is just a lesson in cause and effect. I don't have to take this personally. This mm-hmm. does not have to be a big deal. I can be calm. And in every one of those four basic skills, one of the steps is keep a calm face, voice, and body. That's how important calmness is. And if a person can't be calm, then of course you have to help them. You have to help point them toward calmness. And we have ways to do that. So um, we, we could go in more to disagree appropriately, but the point is to be understood, to be heard. And so I don't think we need to touch on that a lot, especially because I know there's many other podcasts where we've hit on that particular skill, but there are skills for the parents. And I think we're to a place where it'd be a good time to talk about skills for parents. So there are five teaching styles that we teach parents. We teach them how to do really effective praising. And there's three steps to that. And and then we teach how to do pre-teaching. There's three different types of pre-teaching, depending on what you're going to be pre-teaching to the child and the moment that that pre-teaching is happening. So there's instructional pre-teaching, situational pre-teaching, and then what we call prepping. And pre-teaching is so important that we have three different ways that we use it. When a person is doing self-government or teaching themselves or their, ch- their children self-government, the pre-teach helps the, the brain and the heart to prepare to succeed. And so it's like it, a positive trigger. It is. It, that's right. And it's so merciful too, because it, it, it acknowledges, okay, someone could have a problem with this or they might not remember. So I'm just going to make sure right now that I give them the benefit of the doubt that I know they would use the skill if they remember it right now. Mm-hmm. And then boom, they do, you know, yeah. the majority so instead of, of walking into a room and saying, okay, it's time to go, you know, and your kids go, wait, no, five more minutes. Then you, instead it could look like you walk into the room and you say, okay, kids, I'm going to give you an instruction. Do you remember how to follow an instruction? And, you know, then they can mentally think about, okay, here's the instruction where we need to get our shoes on so that we can go, mm-hmm. you know? And so then at that point, your children will be like, okay, I know how to follow instruction. I can say, okay, or I can disagree appropriately. So instead of whining and saying, ah, five more minutes, I can say, okay, mom, can I disagree appropriately? Yeah. I understand. I understand that you want us to put our shoes on so that we can leave, but can we please play for five more minutes? Right. And at that point you're like, yes, of course. I mean, unless you really had to be somewhere because that boom, that's huge self-government huge for Mm -hmm. them not to whine, but to do that instead, but they would never do that if you didn't pre-teach it all ahead of time. And if you didn't start the interaction in such a way that says, remember, we're going to use our skills and you have Mm -hmm. lots of skills. So here's a skill that you can use. And then boom, they can use their skills to be understood, to get their way. And they're not going to get their way every time. In fact, they shouldn't get their way every time. Otherwise they just start using it as a manipulation, (laughs) but it should work for them a lot of the time when they use these skills. So pre-teaching is huge. There's three different types. The one that Paige just showed you, there was a kind of a prep, just a really quick prep for the child. But there are two other types of pre-teaching that we teach. And then we teach corrections too. So how to correct a problem when it has occurred. So when somebody has not followed instructions, did not disagree appropriately, did not keep a calm face, voice, and body, whatever. And you'll see that we actually come and target the same language all the time. We don't say didn't clean their room or didn't take their dish or didn't, it's not about the dish or the room. It's about, can they do those four basic skills? And what, what's the step in the four basic skills they missed? Okay. That's what we're going to focus on in the correction. So it becomes where's their heart. Yeah, exactly. Oh, for sure. hundred percent. But it becomes more impersonal. It's not like, 
a personal attack, like, oh, you don't care about your room. Your room's so bad. It's not about that. It's about just following instruction. Did you do the task immediately? Because that's one of the steps. And did you check back after? No, you didn't. So that means it's not done. <laughs> so let's go ahead and do the correction of what mm-hmm. needs to happen there. It's very much explain the situation and help the child analyze it instead of blame them for what went wrong. Just say, oh, you know, this, this wasn't how it was supposed to go. You know, let's mm-hmm. think about how it should have been done better. And let's actually practice it. So yes, you earned an extra chore because you didn't do it correctly, but we're going to practice it the right way. You know, a couple of times we're going to role play it mm-hmm. before you go and do that extra chore. Totally. So I have to say that corrective teaching, and that's the the real name of it is corrective teaching. Okay. Or, I mean, we often say correcting negative behaviors, but it's teaching and the focus should be on the teaching. The whole thing should be about this feeling of teaching. It should be very understanding, very calm. And in fact, when I am correcting my children, so there's seven steps to a good, effective correction. And when I'm correcting my children, I will be praising them usually five or so times during one correction. If we do a full correction, then there is at least room to praise them five times. And you should praise your children six to 10 times for every one time you correct, correct them. So if I'm praising them five times during the correction, do you see how like, boom, the correction can be such a unifying moment? And especially yeah. if parent didn't take it seriously and the child knows how to accept a consequence and accept a correction. I mean, that's just huge. So then the other thing that we teach, one of our other teaching styles is intensive teaching. So intensive teaching is what we do when somebody goes completely out of control. They will not listen. They're having a tantrum. They're being violent. They're, you know, they're totally not calm. They're at back brain. They're struggling. They Very want to emotional. Just fight. Yeah. At that point, depending on their age, there's two different strategies or skills that we use to help children come back into control and choose calmness. Again, we don't force, but we definitely have a structure in place that lets them know, listen, you've got to choose calmness before we can get this taken care of. And it actually is very merciful. A lot of people will be like, wait, what? That's, you can't do that. And it's like, it's actually really merciful because before you're ever going to use it in real life, you're going to teach it to them and role play it. So first off, they know every single word you're going to say. And during the correction, which we actually call the rule of three, um, you're inviting them to follow instructions three separate times before they end up losing all of their privileges. And if they choose to go all the way, then it is actually their choice because they have ample opportunity to choose to be calm and to accept their consequences and to follow instructions. Yeah. They know, they know, they know what they're doing, you know, as they do that. So anyway, that intensive teaching, we often call it the rule of three. We also, for young children, use a calm down place, which is a different type of a skill for the younger children whose prefrontal cortexes are really small, maybe in those toddler years. But it is like Paige said, so merciful. The whole point is just, let's get to calmness. You don't have to earn any of these negative consequences. Let's just get to calmness and let's focus on being understood. that's the only logical thing you're going to bring in because you're like, okay, well, if you're in emotional, we can't talk logic, you know, so we have to be calm Mm -hmm. until we can, so that we can talk logic. 
Yeah. And see, you pre-teach all of this stuff. So the fact that we pre-teach so many things gives the child the greatest opportunity at success. And then we also do something called parent counseling sessions. So parent counseling sessions are how you end up having a conversation with a child about a touchy subject, or maybe kind of a new subject, a new behavior, and you go through a process of making a plan for success. So it's Mm -hmm. a type of correction and pre-teaching all in one, and it helps the child take some ownership over some of that problem behavior or that upcoming situation that they might need in order to really succeed. And there's multiple different ways that I go through a parent counseling session, but a lot of it has, it heavily focuses on having input Mm -hmm. from the child. So all of these skills that don't are not just for the parents to learn, but the children learn all of them too. They even learn what it means to praise, what are the steps to it, what it means to pre-teach, what are the steps to it with corrections, with intensive teaching, they learn all of it ahead of time. So there are no surprises. It is completely predictable. Like Paige was saying. Well, and I think it's important to point out that we were teaching these skills through role play to adults when we were very young. That's true. So that's true. You You and your siblings were doing it when you're like eight Mm -hmm. years old. Yeah. Yeah. We were showing people what it looks like when we were little children. Mm-hmm. And so your, your littles can understand it, you know, cause you know, like you said, we were about eight years old while we were teaching this to other people. And so, mm-hmm. um, your, your young ones can understand and can get the hang of it. In fact, a lot of times your kids will get the hang of it sooner than you do. <laughs> yeah, they do. Cause their brains are younger for sure. So all of these skills are about problem solving, developing the prefrontal cortex, helping people learn how to have better outcomes, helping increase their understanding of cause and effect, and to help them analyze themselves. Cause that's, what's required for self-government, but our program actually has even more in it. So in the teaching self-government system, we also have problem solving exercises that we use to help children and they are part of our family economy. So your family economy is the system of credits and debits. So it's like your positive and negative consequences that you have within your family. It's how you actually um, oversee the environment and help everybody do the learning. And in our family, we do a lot of chores because work is the antidote for a sick character. So we're heavy into work in our family just on a regular basis, but also when somebody say, doesn't have a calm face, voice, and body, and we need to do a correction because they didn't accept a no answer very well. And by the way, those no answers can include any boundary line that they shouldn't have crossed over, which happens all the time in homes. Then at that point, we're going to do a correction, which has those seven steps to it. And it's going to be a good teaching moment. And then they get the opportunity to earn an extra chore. And so they get the time to, to sit, to accept something, to do something. Some parents say, won't this make them hate work? This could make them hate work, but actually we found just the opposite to be true. Yeah, it increases that, conf- no. confidence. <laughs> yeah. It increases confidence. In fact, um, on the BBC show, when the BBC made the documentary of our family, there was this beautiful moment and I wish it would have been as part of the part of the final product, but you know, they can only show one hour of like 180 hours, but where James was taught for his extra chore to clean a bathroom, he'd never cleaned one before he came to be beaming, wanted to show me everything he had done. He was so proud of himself. And he said, when I go home, I'm going to clean the bathroom for my mom and she's going to die because he'd never done it before. And he was 17 years old. He had been disabled by not learning basic skills like that, mm-hmm. you know? And so he all of a sudden felt bigger, felt more capable, all kinds of yeah. things because he had this vision of him now doing stuff when before no, he had so true. Had 
Mm-hmm. I remember there was one time uh, I had a friend over and earlier that day he had asked me to help trim the trees. And so I'm like, Hey, so-and-so let's go trim trees. And then she, and she's like, what? I'm like, yeah, let's go trim some trees. And she thought it was the weirdest thing, but I was out there with my, with my cutters, you know, cutting off the appropriate branches for our trees. And she just kind of dumbfounded, like, you think this is like fun? Like probably also dying that your mom let you just go out and trim the trees. <laughs> yeah. Cause some people would be like, no way I'm letting my child cut tree branches off my tree. Cause that's going to be a disaster. But I had taught you, these are the ones we cut. These are the ones we keep, right? This is how, you mm-hmm. know, which one has to go. And so yep. you knew how to do it. I had no problem. I'm like, yeah, go trim trees. <laughs> and yeah, and we talking. went through trial and error. I mean, there was one tree that did get one branch cut off that probably shouldn't have been cut off, but that's okay. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> luckily they grow again, even though we do have one kind of misshapen tree. Maybe that's the one anyway, yeah. <laughs> such as it is living. But I thought that was really interesting because, you know, that was just something that we did and something that I had to do that day. And she was like, this is this is not normal. You know, this is, mm-hmm. we don't do this in my house. I'm like, what? we do it in my house, you know? And so my confidence in myself was, okay, I don't care what she thinks, but I also was like, I can do this. And yeah. so a lot of times it's come in handy, you know, where mm-hmm. people are like, Hey, I need help moving. I'm like, I got you, you know, I'm used to hard work. Let's pick up these boxes. Let's go, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it has given me a ton of confidence in myself and where mm-hmm. I can be very confident in pretty much any situation I'm in. Yeah. That's so wonderful. So incredibly wonderful. So anyway, part of the process is having a good family economy that teaches cause and effect that a person gets the opportunity to accept a consequence. And instead of you just taking something away from them, there's positive and negative consequences you want to put in place because they both have their ways of teaching. We also have problem solving exercises, which we call sodas. And that's an acronym for the problem solving exercise that we use with the children to help them develop their prefrontal cortex and learn to solve problems better. But then we also have these meetings. We have three different types of meetings, and this is the time where we check up on the relationships. So now we're back to the relationships. Okay. We, we check up on those relationships and see what we need to do to make things better in the home page. Talk to us about these three meetings. Yes. So the first one is family meetings. And that is where actually I'm going to start with couples meetings. The first one is couples meetings, and that is where mom and dad get together and they set a time limit for themselves. And this is where they meet together, just the two of them, and they talk about each child uh, individually, and they talk about the schedule for the week and, you know, who might need to drive so-and-so where, um, what's going on, so that they can be together and on the same page and figure out who needs to do what that week. And then they talk about each child individually for, you know, five or so minutes, each child say, oh, so-and-so learned this this week. And, you know, this is where they are developmentally. And this is what we've been doing to help them grow and learn, um, you know, what else could we be doing to maybe improve our relationships with them or help them improve their relationships with such and such sibling, you know, stuff like that. And then I know for me personally, in my couples meetings with my husband, we also talk about our relationship and we make sure it's an open space where we don't judge and we don't take things personally and where we can talk about, Hey, you know, you did this one thing this week that was actually really annoying. So, you know, how can we figure out a way to not make that happen? But then we also take a time to say, Hey, you know, you did this one thing this week. That was amazing. You know, I am so grateful for you and, you know, you excelled in this this in this way. So we take time to praise each other. And that's Mm -hmm. so important in a marriage relationship. 
It is in that marriage relationship lays the foundation for all of the other relationships. So putting a high priority on the couple's relationship is very smart. And that couple's meeting so that the family gets the benefit of husband and wife unifying with each other. That doesn't mean you're going to agree on everything all the time. No, but you can be unified in your leadership in the family. And this is going to come through when we get to our next meeting, which is the family meeting. Mm-hmm. So the family meeting is this great time where the whole family gets together and discusses legislation in the home. So they discuss <laughs> um, the activities coming up for the week. They go through the schedule and they talk about topics that need to be discussed and they take votes on things. And there are certain rules that we keep in place to make sure that these family meetings do not turn into family fights, which actually mm-hmm. happened when I was a child. My parents tried family councils is what they called them. And they turned into family fights a lot of the time. And everybody was so worn out. Oh yeah. And, but we never wanted that in our family. So we had specific rules. We had time limits for certain things. We had everybody taking turn leading them. We also phrased our words in such a way that would not be singling people out, you know, that kind of thing. But those meetings are huge for unity for the family. And we noticed definitely Paige growing up. I'm sure you remember the weeks we didn't have family meetings versus the weeks we did. There was a difference in unity and that feeling. Yeah. The the home definitely flowed much more smoothly when we had our family meetings yeah. for the week, but yeah, everyone was on the same page. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It was really nice. And then after we, all of these meetings usually happen in one day for us, it was usually Sundays. So after we did family meeting, then we went to our mentor meetings, which is where mom and dad would spend one-on-one time with each child individually. And if you have, if you have a lot of children, you might have to, you know, maybe bi-weekly for your kids <laughs> do a chunk here and a chunk here, but uh, since there's only four of us, we were able to do everyone every week. And that's where you're we saying like down. only four. And there's somebody out there going, can I only four, <laughs> you know, like that's we're a, a Utah lot. family. It's okay. <laughs> four is four is average for us. <laughs> yeah. But there's, there's a lot of, you know, that we know a lot of big families and actually I've met big families all over the world. Yeah. Uh, no, mostly they, in the they US, like but... 10 kids, 10 or yeah. 12. Yeah. For so. sure. I'm the aunt who did have 12 children and, uh, it's not cut out. That's not everybody's life. That's not no. for everybody, but anyway, just that's a tangent, but I thought, <laughs> you know, she's like, Oh yeah, we only had four children. I'm like, that just rolls off your tongue. As if you think that's like, nothing. it's just part of our culture. You know, we grew up yeah. around families who are large anyway. So, but that's a time where we get to set goals in a bunch of different areas. Um, and we get to talk about things that are important to us. And, you know, sometimes we fill dad in on things that were going on. Cause you know, he's at work all the time, but this is the time where he gets to say, say, okay, tell me what's going on. Or as we were getting into our teenage years, a lot of our conversations, you know, between me, you and dad were, okay, tell me about boys. Who do you have a crush on? You know? And I've had, I was boy crazy since I was 13 years old. Oh boy. That is true. So- <laughs> probably even younger, but, um, you know, it was, it was a time where I could say, oh yeah, so-and-so and so-and-so and oh yeah, he's super cute, you know, and where we could have that connection. And, you know, a lot of people don't have that opportunity to, and that time set aside to be open with mm-hmm. their children have their children feel comfortable being open with them mm-hmm. and to be on the same page with goal setting and to set, you know, plans for the entire year and to make a list of things you want to accomplish and then to set weekly plans for how you're going to accomplish that goal. And that's really what happened in those mentor meetings. You know, we talked about spiritual goals. We talked about, um, academic goals, recreational goals, um, all sorts of different things for all different aspects of life. And because of that, I've actually carried a lot of that over into our, 
uh, mine and my husband's couples meeting where we set goals. Um, you know, our spiritual, our mental goals, our academic goals, our relationship goals, and our togetherness goals. And so, um, you know, kind of mimicking the smart goals that, you know, are really popular mm-hmm. anyway, but, um, it's been so helpful for me later on in life. And it was so helpful to help me be successful, uh, on a weekly basis and a yearly basis growing up. And yeah. that was, that was coveted time, man. We did not want <laughs> anyone coming into our mentor meetings. So, so true. So, so true. <laughs> okay. So there is another piece and this is the piece that I think a lot of people worry about in this day and age, and that is the family standards. So people see this attack on the family and the attack, you know, with all of the digital and uh, the phones and the, mm-hmm. all the stuff that's happening in, in the social world and addictions and people and all the clothing from- changes and yeah, the- just everything. There's just so many things that people are like, Oh, I don't want my children to get trapped in that or in that. And, and they may even look ahead and see, say it it could get worse. It could go to this. And, and that is what we did when we took in these treatment foster children, when, when Paige and Quinn were very young is we said, wait a minute, they're coming from different walks of life. We've got to have it very clearly articulated what our family standards are. And then when they get written down, they're going to have to comply. And, and actually, if you ever do see the BBC show, which is on teaching selfgovernment.com, it's under the blog tab. If you look under blog and they go to video, that's where you'll find that full episode but you'll see they have a hard time with dress code. Hannah's having a <laughs> tantrum for a couple of days because of clothing. And, and it really, it's because we had a family standard. When we explained that to them, they did not like that. And mm. so that was their source of struggle was this whole idea of the family standard anyway. Um, but truly, you know, that family standard helps everybody stay on the same page. It offers lots of instructions and no answers that just are there that the parent don't, doesn't have to decide about every single thing under the sun. Oh, you want to color your hair? Well, in our family, we decided to have a hair standard and we're not doing weird colors. So the answer is automatically <laughs> no. And you already know that because it's in the standards, you know, but these family standards, we're saving this to the end because it shouldn't be one of the first thing you do. I know it's, it's for a lot of parents, it's like their number one top priority, but in order to get the family to a place where they can accept those no answers and follow those instructions. They have to be able to accept parental authority. They've got to have the roles in the right place. We have a whole book about that whole book about roles. So be (laughs) sure to take a look at that. It's oftentimes a really good place to start. Um, anyways, so that, that roles, having the roles in the right place, all those things have to be in place in order for the family to follow through with those family standards and be able to come to a decision on what those standards are going to be and to honor them. And there's a whole process of doing that. And we don't have time to go in into that here, but we do have time to go into where you can find certain things. And I think this is going to be really important. So we already mentioned there is a calm parenting toolkit that's free that you definitely can do. There's other courses and books. There's books on audible. If you like audio books, there's tons of additional audio seminars and full day trainings and, you know, all kinds of stuff like that, that we've done over the years. And I've got books and charts and cue cards. Yeah, and there's a lot of resources journals for the meetings. And then there's the main book, Parenting House United, which is on audible as well as in written format in hardback and paperback. You know, there's all those kinds of things. And then there's the courses and the trainings. And so 
people lots of times will say, I'm going to go to a three-day training because I just want to learn it all in three days and get on the same page with my husband. And those happen a few times a year. So you can find out information about those on teachingselfgovernment.com. Usually right on the homepage, there's something about the next one coming up, or if you click the events tab. So that is big. And um, then we also have our online course. And our online course is go at your own pace, but usually you can get done within just about like eight weeks. You get done with stuff. You do a few mm -hmm. lessons a week, and then you meet with mentors and Paige is actually one of those mentors, as well as some others that join her there. There's a support group where you can ask your questions if you want to be on there. And that's every single week too. I mean, there are so many different things that are offered through teaching self-government to get started. And, but the thing is, is just pick something and start going. Pick something and start going and be patient too, because it's going to be a step-by-step -step approach. So you can't do it all at once, right? So even in three days, we say, okay, we're going to learn this and we're going to practice this in our practice groups. Okay. And then now we're going to focus on this. Now we're going to focus on this. It is an incremental thing. So start picking the pieces that you're going to put in. And start reading those children's books to your children, working on those, and then working on how to correct the children, all those kinds of things, and start putting those pieces in place and be patient because you're not going to be perfect at first. And I think that's probably the thing that's the most disheartening to people is they feel like if they're going to do this, they want to be perfect straight out of the chute, just immediately, just because you learn, it doesn't mean you're perfect. You have to govern you too. And that's one of the biggest things that's required is you mastering you. If you're working on self-governing you, and if you're willing to correct your own mistakes and redo them again and decide that that's okay and that that's healthy instead of that's the sign that you failed at one more program, then your children are going to decide that it's okay to be corrected too. They really do need to see that example from you. So Paige, I know you've helped a lot of parents through the course and you've helped a lot of people mm -hmm. become trained and what kind of advice do you have them as for them as they are just starting off on this? So definitely take it at your own pace. And um, also the TSG course, if you are to take that is set up in a way, you know, to implement as you go. But um, with TSG in general, you got to start with a why. I mean, if you're in crisis management mode, get some of the skills in place. But that family vision is so huge. Mm -hmm. Get your why in place. And then your how will become more meaningful. Yeah, it will work so, better. It will mm -hmm. work better. Oh, Paige, thank you so much for that. If you would like to find more out about all of these things that we're talking about, be sure to go to teachingselfgovernment.com. This has been TSG 101. This is like the pieces that you've got to figure out about and make sure that you implement. We've said a lot of things. It's a life's work. It's a life work for me. It's a life work for Paige. It's something you never stop improving upon, but it's never too soon or or too late to get started. So start teaching your children and your self self-government now, and your life truly will transform for the better. We've seen it so many times now. So anyway, uh, bless you all as you're on your self-government journey. And hopefully we will see you again somewhere around as we travel and teach. We'll talk to you again next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You've been listening to the Teaching Self-Government Podcast. For more information and resources to help unite your family, visit teachingselfgovernment.com.